The story in today's episode was told me by somebody after they'd had a couple of pints. And um, don't worry, Andy, I won't tell anybody it came from you. Hello, and thank you for downloading this episode of the Morted Muse podcast. Before I start, I'd like to say that I will be going to the Wee Dram Fest in Bakewell on the 23rd of October. If anybody sees me there, do come and say hello, and possibly have a dram with me. I have also been thinking that not everyone is going to be able to go to the Wee Dram Fest, or maybe not to any other live whiskey tasting event this year. So, if you'd like me to taste a whiskey on your behalf, a certain whiskey, and give feedback on the podcast, then let me know and I'll try my best. Whilst I'm there, I'm also going to be doing some interviews. So if anybody's got any questions they would like me to ask people who are in the trade, then email them to me, along with any other comments, to jim at themaltedmuse.com. This week, I'm going to kick off with a a short and personal appeal. And then, after doing that, I'm going to taste a whiskey. Then, it's going to be straight into a tale. And that tale, well, what can I say, is a bit different from the normal ones. So, I'm going to use this opportunity now to say thank you for downloading this episode, and I hope you enjoy it. Oh, the stresses of parenthood. Do you know, when they're babies, you worry. But as they get older, they find even more ways to make you worry. My third child, my oldest daughter, Kira, is one who at the moment is giving me most stress, but also great feelings of pride. In January 2011, she's going to be setting off with a teammate to take place in a road race from the UK to Bamoko in Mali, then by other transport onto Timbuktu. The car she's travelling in has to cost no more than £100, and she's only got a budget of £25 to do it up with. She's going to cross desert, more desert, an area so dangerous that they have to be escorted by armed guards. The journey will last for about three weeks and will cover around 4,100 miles. The reason for her doing this is to raise money for two worthy charities. One is the British Heart Foundation, which can be found on www.bhf.org.uk, whose vision is of a world in which people do not die prematurely of heart disease. And they hope to achieve this through pioneering research, vital prevention activity and ensuring quality care and support for everyone living with heart disease. Now clearly that has got worldwide advantages, not just for Britain. The other charity is Plan UK and their website is www.plan uk.org plan is one of the largest child-centered community development organizations in the world helping children and their families in 48 of the poorest countries to break the cycle of poverty when kira is only 11 years old she started to sponsor a child through plan using all her pocket money to do so and she's carried on with that enthusiasm right through to today 
Now, I often tell people about how friendly the whiskey world is. It is one of the things I like about it. It doesn't matter how new you are to whiskey or how questioning you may be, there is always someone who's happy to talk and explain things to you. I must say that I am still impressed about how supportive and friendly people are and how much help I've had setting up the MaltedMuse.com website and its podcast, even from people I have not yet even met. I think that this is one of those times when whiskey lovers can show this friendship to the world by the simple act of donation to my daughter's venture. None of the money donated will go to her, but will go direct to the charities. And you know, that means that they can actually start using that money straight away. And you can even choose which of the charities to donate to online. Now, I will give updates on her progress as time goes by, both on my podcast and on the website. And I thank you for your support. If you want to donate to the British Heart Foundation, then visit www.justgiving.com slash Timbuktu-challenge. To donate to Plan UK, then visit www.justgiving.com slash spirit of a star. Now that's spirit of a star or one word. Although the reason it's called Spirit of a Star is to do with that Gallic word, a star, which means journey. Now, I will keep you updated as time goes by, and the fundraising has only just started. So, please help us out on this one, and thank you very much for your time. I have in my hand a beautifully golden amber whiskey that has a beautifully rounded perfumed nose with slight hints of slight hints of citrus, burnt lemon peel and it tastes it tastes sharp, it tastes oily. There's a lovely burnt um toffee brittle texture to it and then on the aftertaste there's ginger there's all sorts of spice going on there i'm tasting it i'm looking at it it's lovely legs this is a very charismatic characteristic whiskey this is a whiskey with the power to cut through um rain to cut through sweat from a hard day's work and uh, it's no wonder that if you've been out doing an activity like fishing um there's lots of smells around you there's lots of textures and flavors already flowing through your mouth and whatever it is you've been doing this is a whiskey that's going to cut through that and get to the the mark that you want it mm. it is gorgeous and i also have to say about this whiskey i've had it a few times and every time I've had it, I've got a new experience out of it. Whiskey does that. It depends so much on mood, on placement, on what you've just eaten before, what whiskey you may have had beforehand. A lovely whiskey. Chewy. Absolutely chewy. 
and an aftertaste that goes on. What on earth is this whiskey? Well, this whiskey is Old Pulteney. Now, Old Pulteney used to be a peated whiskey. That was quite some time ago, um, back in the 1800s. It hasn't been peated for quite some time. Let me tell you a little bit about Old Pulteney. We're as far north as a distillery can go and still be on the mainland of Scotland. Founded by James Henderson in 1826 and named after Sir William Johnston Pulteney, a herring baron, member of parliament and former governor of the British Fisheries Society. It's a, a whisky that when it first started back in 1826 was sighted in an area that was very busy and very productive. You had the herring fishing industry based around you. It's a thing that's been said many times by many people that the boats would come in, would harbour, and it, they'd be so dense, so many boats, that you could cross from one side of the harbour to the next simply by walking from deck to deck. Um, I think there was about 10,000 workers employed in the town. And of course, because it's the herring fishing industry, they had to move the herrings around. And what did they put those herrings in? They put them in casks. So there is a strong cooperage um, industry going on there as well. So what have we got? Let's just think about this. We've got people. We've got a remote area. We have got um, access by boat to Russia, to Germany, um, across to Norway, um, the whole of Northern Europe, and many other places as well. You've got coopers. You have got a workforce at your doorstep. And what are you producing? Well, what are you going to produce? You're going to produce a strongly peated whiskey. And it's going to be a whiskey that's then matured right on the seafront. And you're going to have workers who have been working with herrings, who have been working hard, that's got the smell of tar, the smell of fish. And what do they need after a hard day's work? They need a healthy dram. But they need a dram that's got power so that you can cut through all the experience and the flavours that they've got. And do you know what dram they had there? They had Old Pulteney. Brilliant. But then it didn't last because, well, the fishing industry collapsed. You know, that, that workforce dissipated. You had a situation where people were leaving, um, the population was going down. And then you also had world wars inflicting their pain upon that community. And to top it all off, you also had a strong temperance movement gaining more and more influence until eventually Wick became dry. What a change for that distillery. But it held on until 1930. And then it was mothballed. It was mothballed for 20 years. And then when it reopened, most of the production that it, it had went into blending. Now, I was I was reading a book, a whiskey book recently, and it's making comment in that book about the stills, because 
Old Portney stills are very peculiar. They are short and they have a big ball on top of them. Um, and the reason for them being so short, I mean, I'll just say what this book said. This book said it almost looks as if the top had been cut off and then put back on again. Well, actually, the legend is, and I do believe this, that when the still first arrived, there'd been a slight mistake. The still couldn't get into the building, so they took the top off and put it back on a bit lower down so they could get it into the, into the building. And this actually might be a good time just to talk briefly about stills and the importance of them. Stills are made from copper and the liquid goes into the still, it's heated up, alcohol evaporates at a lower temperature than water, so the first fumes that come off before the water boils will be alcohol. Those vapours will rise up through the still get to the top and then you have the line arm which carries them over to the next stage of the process where it is cooled and as it's cooled it moves from being a vapor back into being a liquid and it's collected now the thing is you don't want all the vapors that come off the first lot that come off and the last lot that come off um, they don't taste nice they are the first lot of be too light acetone almost and the, the last lot that comes out are too heavy and the flavours within there, they're just not pleasant. But you want a little bit of them to add more flavour to your whisky. The other thing about this is that the copper itself, on a microscopic level, scrubs these vapours and actually takes out some of the impurities. So if you wanted to have a fine whiskey, what do you do? Well, one thing you can do is have a very tall still so that only the lighter vapors can actually make it to the top and bubble over. You have a still that encourages lots of contact with the copper so the vapors get scrubbed by the copper and the impurities taken out. And you might have a mechanism whether it's constricting the still or whether it's having the line arm angled slightly upwards or whether it's having a bowl within the still that catches some of these vapors and sends them back down so they're redistilled again so yet again only the lighter ones escape and also you have that circular moment going on in there that encourages more contact with the copper now, this may be why there's this big bowl in the stills at, at um, Old Portney, but of course they are short stills. And you get this combination, because of this, of a flavour that is full of... It's full of flavour, it's full of these lovely oils, but at the same time, because it's had all this contact, with the copper because it's had this reflux action going on it also has a, a clean taste to it as well now that's the theory excuse me for a moment whilst i check it out yeah and that's what i get i get a distinct flavor profile it has a lovely clean feel to the to the flavor but 
there's that oily nature to it as well. A bit like um, virgin olive oil. It tastes clean, it tastes pure, but it's still an oil. Beautiful. Now one of the things I like about Old Portney is that business about the still arrives, they have to cut the top of it. You know, it's not something that's overly scientific. It's not something that is designed down to the last little dot. It's something that is almost like this lovely organic process, isn't it? That somebody said, right, we need to get the still, and then they've got a problem, so they overcome the problem. And in overcoming the problem the way they do, they actually then create something that's unique. And this is one of the things I really do love about whiskey. The fact that things like this can happen. Old Portney is not the only distillery that's had to do this. There are other distilleries that have chopped the tops off of their stills. And by doing so, they create something that's unique. I don't think Old Portney is ever going to be the number one best-selling whiskey in the world. But then again, it doesn't seem to want to be. What it seems to want to be is itself. And that is just wonderful. That is what I want from whiskey. I want the whiskies to be individuals, to be themselves, to be full of characters. And it's like meeting a group of people. There'll be some people in that group that I really bond with, I get on well they become friends and there'll be other people within that group you know I just won't like them from the onset and I won't want to talk to them and there'll be some people who I I don't like right from the onset I don't like them but as time goes by I actually see other qualities in them and before I know it slowly we've become friends and there might be some people and this is an awful thing for me to say and I know this sounds really bad but, of course, there are some people who, when you first meet them, they seem fascinating, they seem nice, you like them, but then as time goes by, I don't know, they they show a true character, or it turns out that they're very superficial, or they're a bit dull, and that's what whiskies are like. Whiskies are full of different characters, and that's what I want whiskies to be like. I don't want to taste the best whiskey in the world and then have it duplicated 350 odd times i want 350 odd different whiskies all with their own individual characters i love the fact that the top of a still gets chopped off i love the fact that there's loads of quirky little things going on you know people change whiskies change old portney used to be a peated whiskey it isn't anymore it's not the only one that's made that change that people think that brook laddie did the same thing that originally that was a peated whiskey but it's not so peated anymore it's still got some peat not anywhere near as much and yet it produces i think what is the peatiest whiskey in the world as well character flexibility i love the fact that wick where old portney is didn't used to have any pubs but you could go to tea rooms and there in the tea rooms you'd find men drinking out of cups pouring from their teapots whiskey i just love stuff like that it it's all part of the magic anyway
Today's story, the story that I'm associating with Old Portney, well, it needed to be a fishing story, and I'm not a fisherman. So I don't really have many fishing stories that I can tell. But then luckily, somebody told me a story. Now, Andy, bless you. I, I have checked this out with Andy. It's okay for me to tell the story. Um, he had been out. He'd had a few drinks. I was picking him up. I was the de designated responsible person who went to pick him up. And on the way back, he started telling us a story because he is a keen fisherman. And uh, the story today is the story that Andy's told me along with what then happened after the story. So please fill your glass with some old Portney, sit back and listen to the story of a fisherman's tale. There was a river and in that river there was a fish, a big fish. Now, I'm not too sure what that fish was, but it was known. It had a reputation. And Andy knew it as well. And it was Andy's dream to go out and to catch that fish. He tried many times before and failed. But this day, this day, he was determined that he would get it. Here he rose very early in the morning got all this fishing tackle ready and off he went off he went to catch this fish he set himself up on the side of the bank got out the rod put on the bait and started to fish time went by and he caught fish he's a good fisherman I'm sure he caught many a fish but the big fish that was elusive. That wasn't there for him. But in his determination, he carried on. For that big fish was going to be his. And sure enough, towards the end of the day, his line tugged. His line tugged in a way that it hadn't all day long. And Andy knew at that moment what was on the end of that line. And so the battle began. There was tugging. There was releasing, there was pulling, there was teasing, there was tiring, until Andy felt that the time was right to try to reel that fish in, and in it came, and it was landed. The big whopping fish was there on the shore for Andy to hold, and he did. He picked it up in his arms, and it took both arms to catch it, to lift it up. And he knew at that moment he'd achieved his dream. The fish had been caught. But Andy wanted proof. He wanted to show people that he caught this fish. So, very carefully balanced his camera on his little stool, set the timer, and took a photograph of himself holding that fish. Now, I'm not too sure what Andy did with the fish after that. I'd like to think that he put it back into the water again. I don't know. But he packed his stuff up and off he went home 
as happy as can be. Now when he got home, he saw a friend of his. Bursting with joy, he said to his friend, You never guess, he says, I've just managed to catch the fish. What fish, his friend said. What do you mean, what fish? You know what fish. The fish in the river, the big one. Well, you couldn't have caught that big fish, he said. Oh, of course I could have caught it, he said. I just caught it. I'm just telling you that I caught it. His friend looked at him confused. Well, you can't have done, Andy. There's only been one big fish in that river, and I caught that a month ago. Well, so what, said Andy. Okay, you caught it a month ago. Well, I've caught it again. You let it back in, and I've caught it. But no, he said, I didn't let it back in. I caught the fish, and I buried it. Andy said that was stupid. He said, well, how could you have done that? If, and then I caught it. He goes, well, maybe it was a different fish, Andy. No, it wasn't a different fish. There's only one big fish in that river, and that's the fish that I caught. And I'll tell you something else, he said. I've got proof because I took a photograph of me holding the fish. And with that, Andy turned on his camera, the wonders of digital cameras, very instant. And he showed his friend the picture of him holding the fish. There, look at that, he said. And his friend looked at the picture and said, Is this some kind of joke, Andy? And for a little moment there, Andy was confused. And then Andy looked at the picture as well. And the photograph was of Andy on the riverbank, as if he was holding a fish, but in his arms there was nothing but air. The fish just wasn't there. Now Andy said to me after that, you know, not everybody believes a story like that. Sometimes people don't want to think about ghost fish. And I think he was very brave to say the story because he's right. Some people would take the mickey out of him. And uh, unfortunately, I think I am one of those people. You see, the next time I saw Andy, he was round to my house. One of my sons, Sam, was there. And as Andy sat down and I walked into the room, I said to Sam, Sam, what's your favourite food? And Sam looked at me and said, do you know something, Dad? I think fish fingers. And I said, yeah, I love fish fingers as well. Do you know something, Sam? I went into the freezer yesterday and I got out a packet of 25 fish fingers. And that's unusual because normally there's only 24 fish fingers in a packet. And Sam said to me, you know, Dad, you couldn't have done because I went into the freezer last month and I got out the packet of 25 fish fingers and I buried them in the back garden. So I said to Sam, Sam, you couldn't have done because there's only ever been one packet of 25 fish fingers in our freezer. And not only did I get them out of the freezer yesterday, but I took a photograph of me doing it. And I showed him the photograph. And it is a photograph of me holding my arms out, but there are no fish fingers in my arms. There was silence for, the mo for a few moments. And then that silence was broken by Andy saying, I knew I shouldn't have told you that story. Anyway, Andy, I hope you take this in good stead. You're a good bloke, and uh, you gave us a good story. I've enjoyed the story, and I've enjoyed this whiskey, and I hope you, the listener, 
have enjoyed the story and have managed to enjoy the whiskey as well. If anybody wants to um, contact me, as always, they can. The email is jim at themaltedmuse.com or through the website, themaltedmuse.com. Um, some podcasts end, when they've been talking about whiskey, with a little statement about drinking responsibly. And I don't intend doing that all the time, but just occasionally. Do drink responsibly. Um, not only will you live longer, not only will you um, not hurt other people, but actually you'll enjoy it a lot more as well. Until next time, I hope. Thank you. And goodbye.